Totally Football Show and everything you need to know about Saturday's big game is on the Totally Football League Show. Over here, it's Champions League final time. Oh, he is Arsenal. But do we like him? Unai Emery has arrived at the Emirates and Julian Laurent, head of the Emery fan club, is here to fly his flag. He's not the only new manager, nor the only talking point. It's a packed penultimate Totally Football Show and we're wasting precious time blathering. Let's roll. Totally football show, sun's out, guns out, big guns, <laughs> big, big European guns, Horncastle. Hello, Macca. Honigstein. Hi. Laurent. Hello, Ian. And, and uh, Macintosh. Let's turn our attention to the Champions League final, for that is where our attention should be. Uh, Real, who are looking for their third Champions League in a row and their 13th overall. Liverpool going for their sixth. It's probably not going to be nil-nil. But, James Horncastle, is it all Ronaldo versus Mo Salah, or is it more than that? I think, there's a, I think this is a really interesting game, just because, um, yeah, from Liverpool's point of view, they've shown themselves to be quite... It's hard to live with them. In 15, 20 minutes, they can find themselves two, three goals. Um, and, you know, I think that is, is difficult for even a team like Real Madrid to, to cope with. However, having said that, I think Real Madrid... I think one of their great skills is that they find themselves adapting to any situation, really, to any context, and there's nothing that phases them, really. Um, they've been there, they've seen it, they've done it. And, um, you know, I think that mentality, um, that kind of swagger that they had, no matter how badly they're playing, I think there's a belief that they've either they've got the individual brilliance to find a goal out of somewhere, or they can actually, they've got another gear to go to, which I don't think any other club in the in the world has. Well, Rafa, I wonder... Do Liverpool have that to a certain extent with the things that they've been through this season? Um, I was reminded by the excellent Paul Joyce piece in The Times that they very nearly slipped up at the first hurdle, didn't they? Conceding a penalty to Hoffenheim after about 10 minutes, which was saved by Simon Mignolet. They've had a number of moments in this tournament and in the league where they've taken commanding leads and then uh, wobbled horribly. But they've still got here. They've probably learned a lot this year, haven't they? Yes, but I'd say, I would argue that the passage to the final has been relatively smooth. I think it's seen through the prism of Rome, but maybe it had to be there. But from an outsider looking in, it never really looked like there was that much danger of them getting knocked out. And 23 goals in the group alone. 5-0 away to Porto. <laughs> Scored. Ah. Five nil away to Porto. Um, they blitzed City. They had the incredible twenty minutes against Roma. Yeah, they're all right, aren't they? Yeah, they are right. And I think at the beginning of the season, it was quite clear. Or at least you had a strong indication that they were going to be a team that would cause a lot of damage in Europe because you come up against sides who are not happy playing against good counter-attacking teams. Um, a lot of ball-playing teams who, when they get disrupted, really don't know exactly what's going on and kind of can't find their feet. Um, it's not always possible throughout the 90 minutes, but it was enough to do it in spells against City, certainly against Roma. I mean, Porto were blown away. And you can just see Real Madrid suffering from similar kind of problems. If Liverpool managed to create that bit of chaos that they do so well in the final third and win the ball back and... Uh, expose these huge gaps that do exist. I mean, this is a, a Real Madrid team that don't really play as a team very well. Um, they rely on individuals. They rely on their sense of infallibility, invincibility. They have this tremendous psychological edge over almost everyone. But as a collective, they're actually not that impressive. 
And I think Liverpool will feel that there's a good chance of, of upsetting them and disrupting them and creating chances. I What I would say is that I think Klopp has learned one thing, that it, the importance of taking your chances is something that he's talked about a lot in finals. And also, I think the first goal, uh, it's a truism that is really important. But I think especially the way Liverpool and Real Madrid play, you would not want Real Madrid to take the lead. I think then Liverpool would really be up against it. Now, you talk about taking chances. Um, Klopp hasn't got the best track record in finals. And this is something that's going to get talked about quite a lot in the build-up. How much of an issue is that? I think it's an issue that at some level I think annoys him and uh, you know it gets brought up again and again and of course I think he'd be happier if he could take his team into into this final saying you know I've done it five times in a row now you do it six times and everyone would just nod and say yes yes exactly in a way it shows you what it's not so much a show of, of failure but actually a show of achievement because with the exception of the Sevilla game, he's, he was the underdog in all those finals. And when you get to the final with a team that perhaps nobody expected to be there or they're playing at the very limit of their ability, and then you play against the best team left in the competition, chances are you will not win. Um, you can go through final and final, and I'm sure he would say, maybe I made a mistake here, and maybe I should have done this rather than that, maybe got the tactics wrong, whatever. But on the whole... I think it's hard to point the finger at him and says, you know, Liverpool and Dortmund, they've lost those finals because Klopp was in charge. Um, they certainly wouldn't have been there. Julian Laurent, mm-hmm. one of the reasons uh, that Liverpool you know, haven't won anything in a while has often been their frailties at the back. They've got Virgil van Dijk now. How much of a difference yeah. has that made? Huge, obviously, since coming in, in in January. Even out of shape, a bit out of form as well. But he, he has not just stabilised that defense but he's made everybody else better which is i think pretty incredible when you know when you come in in january it's never easy when you get to a, a level that is a level that you've never met before you know he, he played in europe before but never at that level you know never against those teams in those kind of games with so much pressure so much expectations and so much at stake as well and i think the way he responded shows what talent he is i mean i don't think there was any doubt that he you know he was he was a very good defender I think the way he adapted to a new team, a new way of playing, a new manager and a new competition in the Champions League is just incredible. I was surprised just how good he has been, I must say. I was always a little bit... But you knew he was a very good defender. Yeah. It's just the, but the way he, he adapted. He came with that huge price tag and Klopp saying, I want to wait and thinking, surely there must be one centre-back that can help this team. Do you really have to wait six months because you only want this guy and no one else? But I kind of see, yeah, see what they were on about because... And maybe I think this is one of those things that you only really see properly in the stadium, but the kind of aura and mm. this presence. I've seen I've seen players not even bother to challenge for kind of high balls because they're thinking there just is absolutely no point. And I think that kind of impact is worth a lot because a lot of dangerous situations don't even arise with this guy there. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 astonished just how much of an improvement and upgrade he has been immediately all right well that's liverpool what about real madrid ben haywood is goals spanish football correspondent he's in madrid and we can speak to him now how are you ben i'm good thanks how are you guys very well thank you very much looking forward to this one um real madrid's road to kiev has been uh, a little more pedestrian than liverpool's but with the occasional flash of magic what kind of shape are they in it's been rocky hasn't it you know obviously they've played very very good teams on the way to kiev they played 
Paris Saint-Germain played Juventus and of course Bayern Munich. And, you know, a bit of a scare against Juventus, also against Bayern Munich. I, we haven't seen them at their best, but, you know, Real Madrid know how to win. And, uh, you know, they're in a, another final, third in a row and a, a fourth in fifth years, uh, fourth in five years. So um, they, they can't be uh, they can't be ruled out. It hasn't been, you know, vintage performances. Um, but this team, you know, knows how to win. They're experts at it. It's been a strange campaign, hasn't it? Because I was fairly sure that Zidane was in a lot of trouble not so long ago. In fact, I actually looked it up. And uh, this is from the Metro on January the 11th, uh, commenting on reports in Spain. They said, Real Madrid have decided to sack Zinedine Zidane at the end of the season and are in talks to uh, replace him with Jogi Löw, according to reports in Spain. Madrid, currently fourth, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Sport reports that Madrid president Fiorentino Perez has already decided to call time on Zidane's reign. Um, ben, what happened? Yeah, you know, I think you, you maybe can take those reports with a pinch of salt, but certainly if Real Madrid had lost uh, to Paris Saint-Germain and gone out in the last 16 of the Champions League and, you know, uh, take that along with their disastrous league campaign, really, after winning La Liga last season, uh, you know, this season uh, has, has been calamitous. It's their worst campaign since 2006-2007. Uh, they've come third. And so if you, if they'd gone out in the last 16 of the Champions League uh, to Paris Saint-Germain, I think, you know, that time would have been up for Zidane. But uh, if they win the Champions League, it's the third year in a row, it's historic. And, and that changes everything. That puts a different perspective on the whole season. And I think if, if they win the Champions League, and you know, even if they don't, uh, you know, getting to another final uh, really, really changes things for, for Zidane and for this team. Uh, Real Madrid haven't been all there, but Ronaldo certainly has. 12 goals from him, including that bicycle kick, the last-minute penalty. Uh, he was in the UK press today saying that he has the body of a 23-year-old. Not sure where he's keeping it. And then uh, he third-personed himself by saying that all the supporters are behind Cristiano. So evidently confidence is not a problem. Yeah, confidence is never a problem, is it, for, for Cristiano? He believes in his abilities 100%. And, you know, as you mentioned, uh, the goals he scores, he comes alive in this competition. We see it every season, you know. Uh, in fact, last season he was being written off. He, he hadn't scored, I think he only scored two goals uh, in the group stages and then didn't score against Napoli in the last 16. And we were all saying, you know, that Cristiano Ronaldo has this, this goal drought in the Champions League. And then, of course, he scored 10 uh, from the quarterfinals, uh, between the quarterfinals and the final uh, to, to shoot Real Madrid to, to another trophy. And, you know, he's doing it again this season. Didn't score in either game against Bayern, but he's... He's been scoring uh, in the group stages and the knockout stages. And, of course, uh, you know, big threat, of course, in the final again. So, um, yeah, insatiable goal record. Uh, Gareth Bale, there's obviously a lot of interest about him. What's his situation? Are we going to see him on the pitch? It's an interesting one, Gareth Bale, because, you know, he was hauled off at half time against Juventus, uh, you know, in that second game that Real Madrid lost. And... Um, you know, it was it was kind of humiliating at the time, and it looked like it might be the end. Uh, and he didn't feature um, as a starter in either game against Bayern, and uh, you know was overtaken by Marco Asensio, by Lucas Vasquez, who are you know younger guys uh, coming through, and it it, it it certainly looked like it it may be the end. But in the last four or five games, you know, he's uh, been scoring goals. He scored a great goal against Barcelona. Um, scored a couple of goals uh, against Celta Vigo, scored again against Villarreal. And, you know, I, I think he's played himself into the team, played his way into the starting 11. Interesting, if you look at um, Zidane's lineups uh, for the last game of the season uh, before the Champions League final, uh, going, going back to last season and the season before, 
Zidane pretty much picks the team for that last league game that he's going to you know, go ahead and, and select in the final. So uh, I expect to see Gareth Bale in the team on Saturday, which a month ago uh, would have seemed you know, very, very unlikely. All right, Ben, quick one before you go. Um, what's going to happen? What's the score going to be? <laughs> Difficult to pick the score. Yeah, I expect Real Madrid to suffer in this one. I don't think they've come up against the team quite like Liverpool this season. Jurgen Klopp mentioned uh, Marcelo. They're going to obviously uh, try and exploit the weakness, uh, the gaps that he leaves. Uh, but Real Madrid know how to win better than any team in Europe. I expect them to suffer, but I expect them to come through and win this one. That's Ben Hayward, uh, Spanish football correspondent for Goal. Um, I think that the one thing before we move on is the uh, the possible lack of options for Klopp. You know, he's, he's had some big injuries. Oxlade Chamberlain, Lalana's not really quite up to full throttle yet. And then there's Danny Ings and, and Solanke, you know, aren't equivalent to the options on Real Madrid's but, bench. But the dependence on that front three has been like that all season. It's, it's never been different. So we've known it, Klopp known it, the fans, everybody's known that. And they've, 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 they've got there, you know, everybody knew how to play against them and how dependent they were on that front three. And yet they still managed to get there. So it's not going to be any different. The problem is if one of those three is not in a good day, because I don't think just two out of three is enough against Real Madrid. You need the three pretty much at the best. You need Salah even better than the other two. And that's, that's the complete opposite for Zidane, who has so, so many options, so many choices to make. Tactically, in terms of formation, do you go 4-3-3, which was, that was Ben was um, hinting at with Bale up front with probably Benzema and Ronaldo? Do you go a flat 4-4-2 with Vasquez and, and Asensio on each wings who will help massively Carvajal and, and Marcelo defensively and also cover for Robertson and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold going forwards? Or do you go with Isco as a free number 10 and, you know, making him hard to pick up by the Liverpool midfield, for example. There's so many options and he can change at half-time. He can change after an hour. He can change after 70 minutes. After half an hour, Klopp doesn't have that luxury. So it'd be very interesting to see what Zidane starts with. Uh, and then if he if he changes and also if things don't go well for that front three at Liverpool, what Klopp is going to do. I think one of the greatest strengths of Liverpool is those power surges that they have over 20-minute periods. But the problem sometimes with that is that the amount of effort it takes, you get to 70 minutes, the team can flame out a little bit. And you know, when you look to the bench to sort of bring in some sort of freshness, the, the options aren't there. And I think we've seen, partly because of the game state, let's see the, the, the situations that Liverpool have got in early on against City and against Liverpool, and they maybe take the foot off the gas. But I think also part of the energy they have allowed teams to get back in. I don't think you can, you can do that against Madrid. We saw that when they played PSG at the Bernabeu. But they have had what this two-week period where they can kind of rest and recuperate, um, which I think is is massive. It's more more important for Liverpool than it is for other teams, considering the the intensity with which they play. I mean, you go back to the last final, um, Real Madrid against uh, Juventus. Real Madrid, uh, Juventus matched Madrid for intensity in the first forty-five minutes of that game, and they came out of the dressing room and they were shot. They were knackered, and I think that that is a that's a problem. Okay, let's nail everybody down for a prediction here. James Horncastle, what's it going to be? Madrid to win. Rafa Honigstein. Yesterday, I was convinced, well, I I think that Real Madrid might have the edge, but I'm beginning to think that Liverpool might just do it. 
Oh, Rafi. I've, 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 I've changed my mind now. I've changed my mind all the time as well. <laughs> Julian Laurent. I go for Real Madrid. There we go. I'd say 3-2. That's what I said. You said 3-2. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. All right, that's the Champions League final. When we come back, we have a new face in the Premier League. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power, the home of the Money Back Special. Keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more. Right, a lot of managerial changes in the world of football. But before we talk about them, we must make an apology. Uh, earlier in the season, we had a good old laugh about a story involving Sean Dyche and some earthworms that had first been told by the Danish football podcast Fodbold Ministeriat, or the Football Ministry, if you prefer. Now, regrettably, we only credited the Danish podcast bit and we didn't say their name, and they were very upset. And they had every right to be. And speaking as someone who gets extremely vexed when bits of our own podcasts appear somewhere else without credit, I completely understand. We should be better than that. We will be better than that. And we're ever so underskilled, as they say in Denmark. Or, as we say in Essex, sorry. That's the Football Ministry in Denmark, then. Find them on Twitter, Fodbold Podcast. Hey. Will that satisfy the lawyers? Yes, I, I hope so. <laughs> it's the people Good. posting poo for a letterbox I'm really concerned about. <laughs> Let's talk about some of those other podcasts, shall we? Because you can find out everything you need to know about everything that's happening at Wembley over this bank holiday weekend in the Totally Football League show. So if you're after the details, there's one show for each final. Now, round the room, who do you think is going to win with your amassed Football League knowledge from Coventry Exeter? Coventry. Exeter. Coventry. All right. Shrewsbury Rotherham. Shrewsbury. Rotherham. I'm a Yorkshireman, Sir Rotherham. Aston Villa, Fulham. Ooh. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a really good one. Fulham. Um, Rafa says Fulham, I say Aston Villa. It should be Fulham, but it's Steve Bruce. What he do you gets mean he teams should be? Why should it be? Why should it be Fulham? It's like Neil Warnock. Why he just it does Fulham? it. We don't why know be... why he does it. Why should so it be Fulham? Why did you say it should be Fulham? Because they don't have Steve Bruce, and Steve Bruce is in the playoff final. That's what he does. Okay, if you want more detailed <laughs> analysis than that, Totally Football League show. Three previews, one for each final. You just can't go wrong. Now, James Horncastle. Yeah? Do you like audiobooks? I've never listened to one. What? <laughs> is, is that because there hasn't been an audiobook that you have felt is, oh, that's right think, up my alley? Well, no, I think podcasts are like, you know, longer than an hour, too long. James, so an audio I'm trying book. to make a point here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> head, Play head, the game, man. Head the company. Yes, I would love to listen to an audio <laughs> Excellent. Book. Okay. Well, I have one that you might like. It's called Gaza in Italy. Oh, and okay. It's, it's all about Gaza in Italy. Yeah. And it's written by Daniel Story. Okay. And it's read out by James Richardson. Wow. Yeah. That is a winning combination. That is the trifecta that has got me interested in an audiobook. It's almost like yeah. it's the product of extensive talks that began some nine months ago. Um, you've probably heard Daniel and Jimbo uh, sort of joking about it on the shows. Is it available as an actual book? I hear you ask. No, not yet. It's exclusively an audiobook, and you can find it now on Audible or iTunes. Who's James Richardson? Oh, oh. showbiz is so cruel, isn't it? A train expert. Oh, is he that guy from the nineties? From the nineties, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> early nineties. Now he does strongest yeah. man and trains. Oh, it's a good job he's busy, and he Ch won't be listening Channel five, to us. James Richardson. <laughs> right, back to business. Unai Emery has turned up at Arsenal. Uh, 
it's uh, it's kind of split the fan base. I think there are a lot of people who were really quite getting excited about Mikel Arteta. Um, Matt Scott, our own Matt Scott, <laughs> he says, this is a tremendously courageous move from Emery. He's following a legacy manager with expectations to win trophies pretty much instantly. He's got to play the Arsenal way. He hasn't got much money to play with. It won't be easy. But Matt admires his cojones. Julian Laurent, do you admire Emery's cojones? <laughs> <laughs> admire his agent. <laughs> um, why? Why wouldn't you want to go for the Arsenal? I don't understand why it takes more courage to go to the Arsenal job than to the PSG job. I think he, the job was available. He applied. I think fifty-eight or fifty-seven other managers applied. They narrowed it to eight and then to three, and he was there. He, he was really impressive in the interviews that he had with, with Ivan Gazidis and and Sven Mislintar and Raul Sanieri, the uh, the triumvira at the club, would decide. Um, Stan Kroenke and John Kroenke liked him when he, when, when he went to Atlanta on Tuesday I can see why some of the fans were a bit underwhelmed I, I get that um, for me if the choice was done to Arteta or Emery I would pick Emery every single day I don't think Arteta was ready he didn't even have a staff to go with him he didn't turn anything down he was just not picked and maybe that made him a bit better I don't know but it's interesting. It's an interesting. I, I, it ticks a lot of boxes of what Arsenal wanted. They wanted, you know, a coach and not a manager, not like Arsene Wenger, uh, someone who would work really hard on the training pitch, would work the players really hard, that had, you know, good organization, structure in his game, uh, with a style of football that is closer to what Jurgen Klopp offers at Liverpool, for example, you know, with a lot of intensity, a high pressing, um, a lot of verticality as well. So I think on that level, he, he convinced them that he was the right guy for the job. I think, I think the, the two years at PhD was too short to judge him on um, in the right way, but it was still long enough to see if he, if he has the ability of managing a club like Arsenal. And I think he showed enough there, uh, despite the player power. And again, just to finish on that, it's a different context than the one he had in Paris. It's a different dressing room, especially. And he did struggle at times at PSG with that dressing room, with the leaders in that team, even before Neymar arrived. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, you know, captain and vice-captain, I mean, by leaders. Uh, but that's not, that's not going to be the case at Arsenal. You can expect the players to be on board with his philosophy like the Sevilla players were on board with his philosophy. Rafa, what's he walking into at Arsenal? That is a really good question because I, I'm not sure there is a defined target for him I think they want him obviously to get back into the top four but he probably will not immediately judged or dismissed if he, does, if he doesn't make it next year because they will start as six favourites out of those six teams competing for the top four maybe that's why a Europa League team has picked a serial Europa League winning manager that, that thought had crossed my mind too James and mm. I think it's, it's not a bad it's not a bad shout at all I'm really interested to see Aside from the you know improvement in results and all that stuff, how he deals with the dressing room that has become very very comfortable, will he you know gradually ramp up the pressure and get them to play again, or is he going to go too hard and and alienate some of the players? Is English is good, but does he have sort of the feel for the atmosphere and kind of gauge the temperature with the people and and the collectively that the people that he's working with to connect with them at some level where they need to buy into this because if your way of playing is demanding and takes a lot of effort it's not going to be enough to just be a disciplinarian to say unless you run this and this is going to happen people really have to believe 
in you and in those methods for them to do it. And I think that's where I'm just not sure from the outside looking in whether he can have that special kind of bond with the players. But, but then if they're not on board, then you bench them, which he find really hard, impossible to do in Paris, for example, because a lot of those players who were not so much on board would have called straight away the, the, the chairman who would have said, hang on a minute, or like, you know, I'm not playing. Why? I don't see that happening at Arsenal. That's the thing. But Mesut Ozil is, is a case, is a different case, I think, than the rest of the dressing room and he will have to deal with that. But I think Ozil will do really well in an Emery's team, the, the, the style of play they're playing. Um, but apart from Ozil, I think the rest should be looking forward to something. I mean, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain left that club because he wanted, you know, new methods, different methods to improve more because he thought, you know, he was not, improving enough so I don't see why someone like Chambers or Holding or uh, even Aaron Ramsey you know all those players with a new manager coming and say okay this is what we're going to do we're going to work in a completely different manner than what you've that we've, you've experienced for the last you know five six years for some of them two three four others because this is you know this is what I do it's new it's new drills new exercises it's a new philosophy it's a lot of that and I think why wouldn't you want to be on board of that James Horncastle, a lot of questions being asked here. Oh, yeah? Um, is that fair? I mean, he won a lot of shiny things at PSG. He won three Europa Leagues in a row with Sevilla. He did very well with Valencia. Are we just being picky? Hmm. No, I mean, look, I think uh, Emery, to some extent, is a quite, not underwhelming choice, but quite conservative choice. I think one of the reasons why Arsenal fans got excited about Arteta was that he's kind of a blank canvas. You can kind of paint whatever you want to onto that at the moment because we don't really know much about Arteta and what he would bring, whereas we seem to know quite a lot about Emery. I think it would have been interesting had he come to this job from Sevilla rather than PSG because I think then you you could understand why PSG went for a guy who was had showed he was maybe ready for that next step um, after winning the Europa League so often. Um, And, you know, that is going to be probably the most likely access route for Arsenal into the Champions League next year. You know, from everything that we know about the budget that they have um, and also, um, you know, just look at the kind of financial disparity between them and and, and some of the other teams. I think, uh, and he seemed to be saying yesterday in his press conference that I believe in this group of players. You wouldn't expect him really to say anything else, but given everything we know about the budget there, there is this kind of like, I have to work with what I've got to some extent. Um, And, you know, I think um, maybe some other managers would have come in and made a few more demands of Saliahi and Mislintat and Gazidis rather than Emery, who I think comes comes into this thinking, this is as good a job as I could have got considering what happened at PSG, which isn't to say he doesn't deserve it. I think he does. But I think maybe some, yeah, I think some other elite managers might have been put off by the situation in the Premier League at the moment with City and Pep Guardiola, but also the state of Arsenal at the moment. All of which just makes me feel very sorry for Mikel Arteta, who must have thought that he was almost there. He almost had the job. What does he do now? He stays where he is. He's not. He's just not ready for a job like this. I don't understand why people got so carried away with him and so excited, and and even why if I don't even understand how he finished in that short list of three. Rory Smith from the New York Times did say um, that he was a little bit worried about Mikel Arteta because the man now has a reputation far in advance of anything that he's actually achieved. I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. He'll uh, he'll buy this time. 
if he is as talented as people seem to believe, then maybe City will give him a chance to succeed Pep. Maybe he'll get another offer next summer. Maybe he'll get another offer this summer um, on the back of the interest that Arsenal showed because I think people believe that those three guys, at least two of them, know exactly what they're doing um, in, in talking to managers. So I don't see why it's done him any harm. Uh, at all it's good publicity uh, I this, no? yeah I don't get this uh, this idea that you know he's going to suffer from the hype and all that nonsense rubbish there is something special about him and I think he separates opinion I think a little bit Juice has uh, spoken about this before some of the players felt him a little bit overbearing mm -hmm. others felt that he's exactly the kind of player that a team like Arsenal needs somebody who takes responsibility somebody who um, shakes others out of their apathy at times And they obviously saw kind of management or coaching material in him. And uh, I think he can only learn and get better if he keeps working with Pep for another year. He's not the only managerial mover. James Horncastle, Ancelotti, in for Sarri at Napoli. Mm. What? What happened? Is Sarri off to Chelsea? <laughs> Sarri at the moment still has a contract with Napoli. And the only offer on the table uh, for Maurizio Sarri as we speak, it might change, is from Zenit St. Petersburg, kind of doing everything um, to get him to come and work for them. I don't think it captures his imagination, that job, <laughs> even though the, uh, the salary is significantly higher than he has at Napoli at the moment. But this created a real splash um, in Italy. I think a lot of people really couldn't believe that Carlo Ancelotti would, um, first of all, come back to Italy after nine years away. I think it was clear he was angling for... A job in the Premier League. The Arsenal job certainly appealed to him. Um, it was a bit surprising that he maybe didn't figure as highly on, or if at all, on the on the shortlist there. I think maybe that comes back to this debate as to what Arsenal were looking for, a head coach rather than a manager. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think in some respects, given what, what Sadi has achieved at Napoli and how popular he is there, um, 91 points, they've got better every year. I think he, even though he didn't win anything, you'd maybe say he's the best manager that they've had in their history. This is, I would say, as good a replacement for him as they could, could get because it almost instantly makes the fans forget about him and, and get confident about success in the future. Rafa, Dortmund have a new manager too. Producer Ben is so scared about my inability to pronounce foreign names that he's written this phonetically. Lucien Favre. Apparently he's just left nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nicely done. Nicely done. Yeah. He's 60 years old. That's like twice the average age of a German football manager. I know, I know. Um, but he is the guy that Dortmund wanted all along. They wanted to get him last summer. They couldn't get him out of his contract with Nice. Um, they've lived to regret that, of course, with getting Peter Bosch and then Peter Stöger in. And now at last he will arrive. And I think there is a real expectation that with his attention to detail he is somebody who will stop training and tell a player you know please turn your foot um, 10 <laughs> degrees to the left because you are um, having the first wrong the, the wrong first touch you will play better turning your 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 foot a little bit and you'll be better playing five meters to the left as well that he will bring out much more from what is clearly a very talented squad I mean Dortmund have superb players especially in attacking Uh, departments and they've been so underwhelming relative to their talent. It's somebody like Favre there who has a problem I think with longevity because he's quite highly strong and he gets uh, a little bit political with the board transfer wise it's always quite complicated for him to make up his mind but the actual coaching 
on a daily basis is really is really top notch. And I think at least for one or two years, he should really take Dortmund to, if not another level, but at least to the level where they should be. And uh, with Nico Kovac coming in at Bayern, and perhaps Bayern dropping a little bit, we don't know, but it's there's a possibility. I think we might actually have a bit of a title race next year. Ooh, I'm quite hopeful. That'd be nice. Hey, just as sexy in the managerial moves, Gary Rowett has left Derby for Stoke. What kind of a job is he walking into? <sighs> a bit of a mess, though. Uh, but You, you, know, you weren't we're... enthusiastic about Paul Lambert when he came No, <laughs> I much prefer Gary Rowett, I have to say. And I think that he's going to get the backing of the board financially as well to rebuild that team because you can expect that a few players are going to leave. Um, and but I think they made the right choice. They Can really they made expect the right Gary choice. Rout to leave because that's kind of what he keeps doing now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he goes for better projects. <laughs> he goes for better projects. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Okay. Well, I thought you were. I thought you were going to mention. Certainly not going to get me criticising people. What happens if he's thought, got the thought, top of the championship at Christmas and then a Premier League club comes calling? Yeah, I mean this is mm. this. You know. I thought you were going to mention Patrick Vieira and replacing Favre. Right? Nice. No? No, no, okay. it wasn't. Is that going to happen? Yeah, I think that's going to happen, yeah. At least it's quite advanced, I think. The problem is still on the contract with New York City FC until December. And Dortmund paid €3 million Euros to get Favre out of Nice. Uh, and I think Nice were hoping that they wouldn't have to use some of them that money to get Vieira out of, of New York. Uh, they look like New York are playing a bit hardboard right now. And rightly so, because he's doing really well there and they don't want to lose him. So... They're still confident in Nice that they will get him. And I think he really <laughs> wants he really wants to go there. Um, but yeah, let's see. But yeah, this one, we should see this one happening. All right. Uh, elsewhere, Sunderland have gone for Jack Ross. Uh, you might remember that name. Uh, Jim Burke, Barca Jim on Twitter, was talking about him right at the beginning of the season. Uh, Scottish Manager of the Year did amazing at St Mirren. Got them back into the uh, the Scottish top flight. And Swansea are in for Graham Potter because, of course, they are. Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes! But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No! Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. It's the final Totally Football show of the season on Monday, but before that, it's the final Totally Football quiz of the season on Friday. It's 12.30 GMT. It's only on our Facebook page. Let me tell you what's up for grabs. There is a 2016-17 Spain shirt, a long-sleeved home shirt. That's from classicfootballshirts.co.uk. There's Do You Speak Football by Tom Williams, the excellent new book. There's a glorious World Cup wall chart from Falling Leaf Designs. And, of course, there's an album and 20 packs of stickers from Panini. Uh, Head over to facebook.com forward slash totallyfootballshow and see if you can answer the questions. If you've not done it before, I read out questions, you type in the answers, and everyone complains about the speed of their internet. Finally, this week, <laughs> Grant Holt, yes, that Grant Holt of Norwich and briefly Aston Villa, is a wrestler. The 37-year-old striker, currently on the books at National League side Barrow, started wrestling training this morning. 
Well, if there's one member of the Totally Football Show team who can straddle the disciplines of football and wrestling, as well as Grant Holt, it's Matt Davis, host of our Parts Unknown Wrestling podcast. Hello, Matt. Hello, Ian. How are you? Well, I'm all right, thank you. Matt, is this a work or a shoot? And please explain to me what those two terms mean, because I have no idea. OK, so a work is when uh, something in wrestling is purported to be real when it's not, and a shoot is something that's real when you're expecting it to be fake. So I think that this is probably somewhere in the middle. I think it's a great publicity stunt by the promotion that he's going to be working for, WAW, who are a British wrestling company um, based in Norwich, hence the link. Um, but they've struggled a little bit in the last few years because there are a couple of other British promotions who've sort of overtaken them in, in terms of their status and popularity. So this is a good way to put themselves uh, back on the map. Apparently, he's not going to have his match until next year. It's going to take place at their Fightmare 3 event where he's going to join up with a tag team called the UK Hooligans. Now, those two are the sons of the two owners of WAW. Um, so that either means that he's, he's taken a year to fully prepare to be a proper wrestler or, as I suspect, it's just going to be a kind of gimmicky match to get some eyes on their product and um, he will be able to appear at various events, albeit not wrestling, um, in the build-up to his debut. What, what does he need to do to prepare to be a wrestler? I mean, presumably pile on... And never, no one's ever said this about Grant Holt, but presumably he needs to pile on some weight. Well, what he needs to do is, um, is use what brung him to the dance, as we say in wrestling, and that is the fact that he's a bloody big bugger. So, yeah, if he piles on some weight, that will probably, that will probably help him. Um, he's not the most gregarious footballer, I don't think, Grant Holt. He's somebody who I watched when he played for Forest, so he'll need to, he'll need to kind of be a bit showier, maybe, than we've seen before. Um, but it's going to take quite a lot of athleticism, depending on, depending on what he does. Um, in terms of his in-ring work, he's going to have to learn how to throw a fake punch convincingly, obviously, which is something that a lot of people find very, very difficult, as is running the rope. So when you, you, know, you bounce across the ring off the ropes to get to your opponent, that's something that some people never learn. So it's quite tricky. Um, it's not going to be easy for him. But I think if he goes into it with the expectation of just sort of muddling through, and that's what other people think, he, he'll have a decent shot. He's not the first footballer to swap. No, he's not. He's not. I was just going to say, there was, of course, Tony Adams, who uh, older listeners might recall, lifted up Steve Morrow and body slammed him into the windy <laughs> turf, breaking his arm. Now, you, you mean Tim Visa, don't you? The German goalie. Yeah, German international. Um, he signed with WWE's developmental system a couple of years back. He did have a match in Munich uh, in 2016, but he hasn't been seen since. And there was Stuart Tomlinson, who was um, a former Burton Albion keeper. He used to get a lot of stick from opposition fans for being fat, but it turned out he was just ridiculously stacked with muscle. Uh, he was with WWE's developmental system for a couple of years too, but he, he never made it to the main roster. His, his wrestler name was Hugo Knox. So I don't know if Grant Holt's going in as... As gorgeous Grant, maybe, or something like that. But, uh, yeah, he's following in the footsteps of a, of a couple of his fellow players. I tell you what, if you do like wrestling, uh, check out Parts Unknown every Wednesday. Matt's the host. It's packed with wrestling experts, and it's very, very good. Right, time to get the odds from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you very much, Ian. Lee Price from Paddy Power, you're back. How are you? I'm very well. I'm slightly anxious about the end of football this weekend, but I'm very well for now. Well, let's get right into it then. Real Madrid versus Liverpool in Kiev, Champions League final. What's going to happen? I think it's going to be a blockbuster. Uh, I hope Liverpool win. I'm not a Liverpool fan, but I really hope they do win. And then this narrative about English clubs being naff in Europe. Our odds make Real Madrid the slight favourites, though. 
I wonder why that is. They're 6-5 to five to win in 90 minutes. Liverpool are quite a chunky 2-1, to one, but I think they'll do it. Well, I am a Liverpool fan, so I'm very excited about this and I'm going to put my money on them winning. Is there a money-back special if they don't? <laughs> there absolutely is. So your money-back as a free bet at Liverpool don't win the Champions League if a certain Mr Salah scores in 90 minutes, which sounds like it's going to be inevitable. Uh, that obviously applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorer bets, what odds Paddy Markets and Max Refund £10. Let's stick with Salah for a sec. Uh, what are the odds, please, on him being the first goal scorer and then Sergio Ramos being the last goal scorer? Interesting. Salah has been so popular in our goal scoring markets that he actually went odds on to score any time during the final. Hashtag Liverpool fans. He's 10 to 3 to score first. Sergio Ramos, the big bastard, is 25 to 1 to score last. If you combine those selections, you're looking at around 111 to 1. I'm on it. And what about four plus goals in this one? <laughs> because these teams are very good going forward and slightly suspect at the back <laughs> when you sent this through i was worried that you were chasing the odds but actually this is quite a, a tight price it's 11 to 10 so almost evens that there's more than four goals in the champions league final absolute madness and jürgen klopp doesn't have the greatest record in any finals certainly not in european finals but as a liverpool fan i think that this is going to be his moment so uh, is he going to break his glasses <laughs> If he's got a worse record than anything other than finals, it's breaking his glasses. We we can go 33-1, to 1, I'll give you, that he breaks his glasses. I hope he does, it probably means they're going to win. All right, from Champions League then to Championship. Uh, it's Villa versus Fulham at Wembley. Uh, the winner gets to go up to the Premier League. Who's it going to be? It's Yeah, it's the old boys versus the young boys. Villa are 9-4, to 4, Fulham are 13-10 to 10 and the favourites. They play the better football, but does that always work at Wembley? Not for England. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Thank you ever so much, James Horncastle. <sighs> My pleasure as always, Ian McIntosh. Thank you, Rafa Honigstein. Thank you, Ian. Thank I very you. much enjoyed the season with you. Oh, thanks for coming, man. Julian Laurent. Merci. Thank you. Uh, give us a follow on at the Totally Show on Twitter and the Totally Football Show on Facebook. Remember to check out Galazzo and the Totally Football League Show. Loads of stuff on there, and don't worry, Jimbo's back on Monday. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Gentlemen. Are you feeling a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, they provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and, of course, football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up manspiration.